Have you ever heard something like this? I know that you're going through a really difficult time and that you feel like everything is so out of control. But you'll be all right. Just remember, God never gives you more than you can handle. This is the last sermon, the three sermons on these Christian cliches, thinking about that phrase, God won't give you more than you can handle. You know, Mother Teresa said something pretty similar. I know God will not give me anything I can't handle. I just wish he didn't trust me so much. Kate Bowler, a professor of Christian history at Duke University, wrote a book which recounts her experience of having faith, but also having cancer. And she writes it in a a book called Everything Happens for a Reason and Other Lies I Love. That's the title of the book. In it, she writes, anyone who has lived in the aftermath of something like failing health, past wounds, broken teenagers, misfiring marriages, know that those difficulties come with the arrival of three questions. These questions are so simple that they seem too shallow, but at the same time, they are too deep. The three questions are why, God, are you here? What does this suffering mean? She continues, at first those questions had enormous weight and urgency. I could hear him, meaning God. I could almost make out an answer. But then it was drowned out by what I've heard a thousand times. Everything happens for a reason, or God is writing a better story. Those are other phrases that people often use to encourage folks who are in difficult journeys. They're along the same lines as the phrase that we're looking at today. God won't give you more than you can handle. During these difficult struggles, those hard moments, those friends and family who love you so much just wants to, want to strengthen your faith. They, they want you to, to see the world and what is happening with the glass half full, so to speak. And that's when we hear those phrases like, just remember everything happens for a reason. God's writing a better story in your life, and he won't give you more than you can handle. Unfortunately, many of those phrases, they, they probably do more for the ones that are speaking them than the ones who receive them. When we say those phrases, it often comes out of our own uneasiness with those three questions as someone else grapples with them. Why? God, are you, are you here for my friend? What, what does my friend's suffering mean at this point in time? So let's look at this phrase to see if there's any semblance of truth, if there's a thread of truth in the statement, or if, if it seems like this statement too has, has gone away from the truth which God has for us. And I want to take a moment. There's probably other Christian cliches that you can think of. So I invite you to email me, 
Pastor Steve at PrincetonCRC.org with any of those, and, and perhaps you'll see them come up in, in a future reprise of this sermon series as we could look at other statements perhaps that we hear frequently in the world and recognize where they line up with God's truth and where they do not. Uh, but let's head to 1 Corinthians chapter 10, and it'll be verse 13. If you got one of those black hardback Bibles, that'll be page 929. If uh, any of the students are in here, your Bible, it's going to be page 1,417. 1,417. So let's look at this passage. Mindy read it earlier. You are tempted in the same way all other human beings are. God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted any more than you can take. But when you are tempted, God will give you a way out so that you can stand up under it. That's the New International Reader's Version. That's the same Bibles as all our kids have. You perhaps read, He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. When we think about the phrase, God won't give you more than you can handle, in reality, it's like a bad paraphrase of this verse. It's a, it's a misquote of what Scripture says here where God is, uh, or Paul is focusing on the temptation that those experience instead of what you can handle. Paul is talking specifically about temptation. He's not talking about troubles and difficulties and things, other things that you may experience. The temptations that Paul's followers or Christ's followers here uh, in, in the church of Corinth would experience were really two prominent ones, two, two prominent temptations. One was the temptation of immorality, and then the other temptation was the temptation of idolatry. As, as people were tempted not only with their bodies, but also with their worship. People in Corinth had, had many gods. If you walked down the street, just as many, you know, if you were, you were in Jenison walking down Baldwin Street, you'd see all the CRC churches down there. One on every corner, sometimes several, of a, several churches right next to each other. If you walk down this street in Corinth, you would see not necessarily Christian churches like that, but places to worship different deities on every corner in all of these different places. So many different deities that they would worship, that they would sacrifice animals to. Perhaps even if you would go to the butcher to buy some meat, that meat might have been something that was sacrificed to one of these idols or sacrificed to, to one of these other gods. There's, there's a question in, uh, uh, that Paul has to deal with. Can you eat meat that's been sacrificed to idols? What, what do we do? People were tempted and surrounded by a culture that promoted immoral behavior. And while these Christians that Paul was writing to were trying their best to follow in Christ's way, many were being tempted to fall back into old patterns of life, patterns that were acceptable, perhaps in that day, immorality, in idolatry. But Paul wanted to encourage his people. He 
he wanted to say, just as Jesus himself was tempted, you too will be tempted. But you will not be tempted or tested beyond which you can bear. You will not be tempted beyond which you can take, and, and the Lord will surely provide a way out. If, if you are tempted, there will be an opportunity for you to be, to be relieved of that temptation and, and find a way out that you, by the power of the Spirit, would, would be able to head in a different way. When we think about temptation in our life, we too could be tempted by so many different things here in our world. On a really, really basic level, we can be tempted by food. I, I started to try to eat healthier. You're laughing, right? Uh, I would eat you know, more salads and, and things like that, and and I try to, to stop eating if I'm full, which is pushing back on every Dutch bone in my body, which says, eat all the potatoes and ham you can, right? Uh, so you want to wait. But then there's, there's times, like a couple weeks ago, we had a dinner here at church where we gathered some of the elders and deacons and, and widows and, and widowers together, and there was this smorgasbord of food. And then after that, there was this whole table of goodies, cookies, and cakes, and pies, and I don't know, this thing This was in this large container that was like, I don't know if it was yogurt, and it had banana, and it had all this, all this stuff, and, and I'm tempted, and you know, sometimes when we're tempted, even though Scripture says, when you're tempted, God will give you a way out. You're not looking for the way out. Just like I wasn't looking for the way out when I was walking by with this plate, filling it with just a little bit of everything that was there. Sometimes when, when we're tempted, we're not, we're not having our eyes fully open to perhaps where God is giving us the opportunity to put that temptation aside, to, to follow that way out. When we think about the phrase, God won't give you more than you can handle, we can see that that phrase falls short of this passage. And the meaning is not the same. It's not used in the same way that it was, was meant to be here because God didn't say he wouldn't give you more than you can handle. He said you wouldn't be tempted beyond that which you could bear. This passage doesn't say that God will keep you from overwhelming trials and difficulties and, and hardships. It doesn't say that you're going to be kept from difficult medical diagnoses. It doesn't say any of that. wonder where else this statement falls short. God won't give you more than you can handle. One of the areas that I think this phrase affects is our view of God's sovereignty. What we believe about who God is and what he is controlling and how he is controlling it. If we say God won't give you, 
are we implying that God is the one who gives all of those things? Are we implying that God, yes, he is the one who maybe gives all of the hardships and difficulties at a basic level? Maybe then we want to say, yeah, maybe God does give those, but what if we continue down that path? Does it mean that God is the cause of cancer in our loved one's life? Does it mean that God is the cause of the wind and hail that rips down trees and pummels vehicles? Does it mean that God is the cause of a drought which kills the farmer's crops and leads to starvation? Does it mean that God is the cause of ice which causes accident after accident? Does it mean that God causes every aspect of everything that happens in the world? You can see how going down that path can be difficult. Some of our thinking about what happens in this world sometimes then goes down a path of philosophy that people generally get what they deserve, which isn't true either. Because if we went to the book of Job for a moment, that's page 596 in this kid Bibles, I don't know where it is in the Black Bibles. But the, the book of Job, you have this man who's in the land of Uz, which is, is further off and is not anywhere near the land of Israel. And you have this man named Job who experiences immeasurable hardship and difficulty in his life. At the beginning of the book, we're we're, we're brought into this kind of this sanctuary, this throne room where, where Jesus or not, where God is holding deliberations with some people and there's this guy called the accuser or Satan. And, and he says, well, you know, Job only follows you because of all the good things that you've done in his life. If, if you take away all of those good things, he will curse you. To which God replies, okay. Satan and it allows Satan to go and to cause hardship in the life of Job, experiencing suffering from bodily condition, experiencing suffering from burying his own children, losing his family, his things, himself. And Job, in the midst of all of these struggles, wonders why because Job's a, a righteous person. He's, he's a person that follows God well, and yet all of these bad things continue to happen. His friends come and say, well, you must have done something wrong, so you should probably repent of it, and then God will take it away. We see in the book of Job an individual who was righteous, who, who experienced this pain loss, and hurt. And it sure seems that it would be more than he could handle. It surely would be more than I could handle. The truth about the difficulty is that we really don't get what we deserve. We get much better than what we deserve through Christ, but 
we will not be spared from debilitating hardship. The, the promise of Scripture does not include a, a limiting or a minimizing of hard times in our own life. And surely, they usually aren't because of what we do and how we've responded. If we look at the book of Matthew, chapter 5, verse 45, it says, He causes the sun to rise on the evil and the good, and he sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. God is is not deciding what happens in our world by what people do. Surely there could be implications from our own choices, but God is not the author who is deciding what happens in your life for good or for worse based on your deeds. When we think of this phrase, God won't give you more than you can handle, I think what we need to recognize is that that's not really a promise. But there is a greater promise in Scripture that we can look at. And the greater promise is this, that we have a Savior that willingly chose to experience the the worst possible thing that you could have experienced in your life, taken it upon himself, volunteered for it, that a promise would be fulfilled that we could have a relationship with God, that we would not experience separation from the Father, but instead that we would experience a closeness and a oneness of the very nature of God dwelling within us through the Spirit. The Spirit indwelling in our bodies. A joy, a promise fulfilled through Jesus. And because of that joy and because of that promise, we know that when we experience more than we can handle, God's presence is always with us. When we experience more than we can handle, we remember God will never leave us or forsake us. When we remember in those moments where we are getting more than we can handle, so to speak, we can remember that it's never more than God can handle. Through Christ making us right with God, we can truly have a a comfort knowing God's presence is with us, a 100% reliance on who God is when he's taking us through those difficult moments. We can remember from Psalm 23, verse 4, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil for you, God. For you, the, the shepherd, are with me, your rod and your staff, they comfort me. When you, when you walk through hard times, it's okay to admit that we, we need the help of one another. When we walk through hard times, it's, it's okay that we, we need to rely on God. When we walk through hard times, it's okay to say that 
We need family members and friends and loved ones and pastors and brothers and sisters and doctors and nurses and therapists to come alongside us, to be present with us, to have those helping professions alongside guiding us, people who use their entire livelihood to help us through those dark valleys of our life when we experience more than we can handle on our own. We rely on God and we rely on other people. When we experience physical pain that we can't handle on our own, we, we reach out to people who can help. We, we trust and need the presence of loved ones and doctors in Christ. When we experience those things which overwhelm us, the adversity and the hardship, we, we can turn to the promise that God is there, that he is with us, that we can trust in him, that he's walking alongside us. We can trust in the promise that the Spirit is within us and the Spirit is working to comfort and to guide and, and to give us the energy to go through tomorrow, one more day. When we experience more than we can handle, we can turn to God knowing that Christ himself experienced trials and tribulations and difficulties more so than we could take in our own life. Volunteering for it. Willingly taking it upon himself so that we would experience God's presence when we go through the same things in our life. Pastor Craig Groeschel in his book, Hope in the Dark, asked this question. What if drawing closer to God, developing genuine intimacy with him, requires you to bear something that feels unbearable? What if it requires you to trust him in the moment of doom, to embrace his strength when you're weak with a burden? What if it takes real pain to experience his deep and abiding hope? It's in those moments where we're experiencing those deep pain, that deep pain that we, we don't want to hear, the words, God won't give you more than you can handle. It's in those moments that we don't want to hear God's writing a better story. It's in those moments that we don't want to hear, well, it all happens for a reason. It's in those moments that we need to hear, God will never leave you or forsake you. It's where we need to hear, God is present with you. And I'm here too. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the opportunity to reflect on your presence. That though we experience things that are hard, you're there. Right next to us. Walking with us. Your rod and your staff protecting us. and that you're giving us your comfort through the Spirit. We pray for those who are experiencing hard and difficult moments these last 18 months.
people who are experiencing debilitating loneliness and depression. Those who are having difficulty trusting each other and the the discord that comes in relationships. We think of those who are scrounging to try to have enough food on the table for families. Lord, we ask for your presence to be with them in a specific way. We ask for your presence to be with them, not only through the Spirit, but also your presence to be with us as people coming alongside of others. To be there in times of need. To offer your care and your presence in days that can be so difficult. In Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. Today we get to think about God's presence in our life in a tangible way through communion as we we gather together and and today is kind of an exciting Sunday you could say because it's considered world communion Sunday and and that means we gather today not just as Princeton Church but as churches all around the globe who are enjoying and remembering and believing that the presence of Christ is here with us through the sacrament that he gave to the disciples. We remember Christ's presence is is here with us today just as it was with all those who have gone before us and all those who will, will come after us. That even though he is sitting enthroned in heaven, that he is here with you and me. So Jesus invites all of us who, who believe in him as their Savior, from, from little children with budding faith to older adults with faith that have lasted for years. Jesus invites you to this table to partake in the bread and the cup. And we, we do so in the sure and certain hope of his resurrection. That it was Christ who had died, but it is he who has risen. It's when at the last supper before he took to the cross, he was sitting down for a meal with the disciples and and he took the bread. And after he had gave thanks, he broke it. Unleavened bread. He said, this is my body, which is given for you. In the same manner, he, he took the cup. And after he had given thanks, he said, this is the cup of the new covenant in my blood. Do this in remembrance of me. Let us pray. Father, we pray at this time that you would send your spirit in this place. That for us, this bread and this cup may be the true body and blood of our Lord Jesus Christ. We pray that through this 
bread and this cup that you would unite us together with all believers around the world who are participating in this. We pray that too you would unite us with all your church, your whole church, Lord, as we wait to come into the glory of your kingdom. And it's in Jesus' name and the power of his name that we pray. Amen. This time I invite the elders forward.